Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of sports, DFS, and gambling. With over five years of hot takes and millions of downloads later... I guess he's been doing something right. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Welcome to the show, folks. I am recording this Friday night. Uh, many of you will be listening Saturday morning if uh, you don't get it on the overnight. But uh, we have UFC 280 on the cards here. Oliveira versus Makachev. From Abu Dhabi, so it is an early start for the UFC abroad, so most of this card is going to be started from 10 a.m., so you can wake up, get uh, get some breakfast, and watch people get their heads kicked in, pretty much, but uh, it is a jam-packed card, and I know that I say that often, but with the amount of like up-and-coming stars or current stars, I mean, Peter Yan in Chickasaw O'Malley is... The third billing on this card, which could actually lead a, an actual pay-per-view on its own. So that should tell you right there how much the UFC is putting into this card. They just built this as a super card for Abu Dhabi. And yeah, we're just going to go from there uh, uh, and just kind of run down the card. We've got, uh, I believe we got 12 matches still on the uh, in the cards here. So we're going to go through the prelims into the main event because I do have some thoughts on the main event between uh, Charles Oliveira trying to regain uh, his, uh, his <laughs> and I mean, I, I, I have to say this, the way Charles Oliveira lost, and he didn't even lose it, he got stripped. Of the lightweight title because <clears throat> of the weight miss that everyone is still very curious how the weight miss happened with Charles because that's not typical for him uh, with the scale and everything else. The UFC changed their whole protocols about the weigh-ins at hotels with teams after that weight miss uh, in general. So again, Charles got stripped, but everyone kind of looks at him as the champion. Uh He's basically beaten everyone in the division. Uh, you know, when you talk about Chandler, Gaethje, uh, you know, it's you run down the list of folks that Oliveira has beaten. He's pretty much silenced all the doubters. The only thing left is the fact that he's got to go up against the new best thing in the division. Because, you know, Islam Makachev is looked at as the next Khabib, uh, Nurmagomedov. Uh, you know, he's been anointed, he was anointed the chosen one to replace Khabib when Khabib retired by Khabib's father. So the, the Dagestani connection in terms of the wrestling, Makashev is a monster. But we're going to get to that 
we're gonna get to that. I already started talking about about the background a little bit too much. So let's start off with the prelims because we got a couple of bets that I want to get out of the way early. So first up on the docket, we got Carol Rosa versus Lena Landsberg at uh, the in the 135 pound division. Uh, one thing I'm gonna say off the bat here uh, for bantamweight, there is a very shallow pool here uh, in general at the top of the bantamweight division for Amanda Nunez at this point. Because she already beat Juliana Pena, and there's Holly Holm, and then you start running down the list. It's Raquel Pennington and uh, Caitlin Vieira. That, that's about it. And in terms of the gatekeepers uh, further down the list, you, you get down to Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon uh, basically halted Carol Rosa's entrance into the top 10 of the uh, rankings of the bantamweight uh, division. Because Sarah McMahon, even though she doesn't have the striking, she is an Olympic-level grappler. And she was able to use the grappling to just stop uh, uh, stop uh, uh, Carol Rosa from striking that much against her. Uh, you know, she's an Olympic silver medalist. And, you know, she was able to use the grappling. Uh, from the standpoint of... Uh, Rosa, she got in a couple of significant strikes, but uh, McMahon was able to use her uh, veteran knowledge to kind of maneuver situations to get in uh, high-level shots and and take her down. And that's where, you know, it, it kind of ended for Rosa in, in terms of getting into the top 10. I think this is the get-right spot with Lena Landsberg because Lena Landsberg's last fight was against Penny Kianzad, which was a not so close decision loss, um, and I think he Zod's one of the most overrated fighters in the division. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think she's fought anybody. And that Landsberg fight, while yeah, she won uh, a unanimous decision and she clearly won the fight. She did nothing there to be even remotely. Uh, offensive enough to take out Landsberg. Landsberg is uh, has turned 40 since that fight. Uh, doesn't really offer much in return from a striking perspective. She's not really going to be grappling um, uh, either uh, to at a significant extent. You know, th- that's why it's just, it's really interesting why Landsberg is even in this spot. She doesn't put out a, a high amount of volume. To me, this just seems like the UFC booked Rosa in a get-right spot just so she could throw a bunch of punches on Landsberg, have an impressive uh, finish, and get into uh, get. I don't think she'll get into the top ten off of a win like this, but uh, put herself right on that, uh, keep her right herself right in that top uh, eleven, twelve ranking um, as the next person to get in once somebody drops a. Uh, drops a decision loss or just loses outright clean, um, then you'll see Rosa into the top 10. But, you know, with that being said, the odds makers have this as a plus 180 finish to uh, to finish inside the distance. I just don't get it. Uh, I mean, I don't see how Rosa doesn't put it on Landsberg. 
Uh, to me, I love this bet at, uh, if you're telling me it, it, to finish inside the distance, it's plus 180, I'm going to take it. Because I don't think Landsberg offers anything in terms of resistance. And if Rosa just starts stringing together uh, punches and combinations and starts uh, really hurting Landsberg, I, I'd be shocked if Landsberg, um, you know, at this stage... Why are you taking the damage? It, 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 to me, it doesn't make any sense. She's four and five in the UFC overall. Uh, you know, she's not going to take down uh, Carol Rosa. She doesn't punch with a significant amount of volume. Uh, if you watch the uh, Kianzad fight, like Kianzad, one of the reasons why I think she's overrated is that I don't think she has the power that Rosa does. I think Rosa has the power to get her out of the cage. And I think uh, with the volume she puts out, because she puts out over six significant strikes uh, per minute, um, uh, six significant strikes landed per minute, I should say, uh, you know, she's uh, pretty much going to be uh, tagging her repeatedly throughout uh, this fight. I, you know, to me, I, I think she gets her out by the second round. I, like, I I feel pretty good about it. I don't see this going to a decision. And if it's a, it is a decision, I think it's a lopsided de- a decision for Carol Rosa, but uh, you know, I think more often than not, when you start seeing uh, some of these fights and the refs don't see you returning volume, they see the other person, uh, a fighter putting out a lot of volume on the women's side. Those are usually the fights that get stopped. So to me, I think uh, Rosa, it's an opening card. Start off right. Uh, Rosa is a minus 275 favorite. Inside the distance um, is uh, still... Uh, only looking at plus 180 for, uh, 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 I mean, uh, plus, uh, it's 180 to finish inside the distance. It's plus 250 for Rosa to finish inside the distance. I, I think you, you take Rosa plus 250 to finish inside the distance. I, I think that's um, a worthwhile uh, bet to take a stab at because, you know, my whole thing is I don't think Landsberg offers anything in terms of resistance here. And I think Rosa puts out enough volume that a ref just comes in and just stops the fight. So uh, Rosa's going to run you 9200 on DraftKings, $21 on FanDuel. I think the price tag's justified. I think she can get her. I, I think it's possible that she lands enough strikes that she can end it in the first round. Again, if it's lopsided enough uh, and she hurts Landsberg at least uh, with, with a good shot in the first uh, to close out the round, yeah, there's a chance that the ref could uh, step in because I don't think Landsberg puts out enough volume to allow for certain referees to just let a fight continue if she's just going to uh, uh, go out there and keep getting tagged. I still think she gets finished in the second, but the in, uh, the round one KO uh, submission prop on Rosa is plus 500. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily be chasing that, but it's something to, uh, to consider that, at least. Next up, we got Muhammad Mukhaev, the largest favorite on the card. Minus 750, and he that's where it opened. It opened at minus 750. Um, it ballooned up to minus 1500. Now it's at minus 1400. To me, Mokayev is just such <laughs> like a problem in, in this 125 pound division. I, I just think that you know, when it's uh all said and done, Mukayev is going to be a title contender sooner than later. It's just a matter of when that title shot is coming, not if. Uh, it's just, uh, 
to me, it's it's just one of those things where you know you you look at, uh, I mean, as you kind of go down, and being perfectly honest, I I don't see where uh, Malcolm Gordon, uh, you know, the proverbial sacrificial lamb, uh, matches up well at all in this matchup. This just seems to be like one way. Uh, traffic that the UFC is using to market uh, Mokayev because uh, you know the UFC you know he's got uh, I mean Mokayev's nickname is the Punisher <laughs> like he's a Dagestani wrestler his nickname's the Punisher he takes you down he uh, just basically functions as a wet blanket and just controls you while he's hammering shots down I don't see where Malcolm Gordon wins a decision here at all this comes down to is there somehow, some way, Mokayev rolls an ankle or just uh, catches a bad, uh, uh, like a knee on an entry somehow and gets knocked out. Like, that's, you need something fluky to happen for Malcolm Gordon to win this fight. I I, I don't know what else to say. Like, there to me, there isn't much else to say about this other than, you're 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 doing a wing and a prayer on a Malcolm Gordon if you're betting him, and again, it's plus five hundred uh, where it opened. He's at plus seven seventy five, and I still don't think it's enough. I really don't. I really don't think it's enough uh, of a value because I think he's got less than a, a like. This is a less than five percent chance of winning to me. Perfectly honest with you. It's MMA, like weird things can happen, but this is not one of those where it's like Malcolm Gordon's got such a great striking background and Mokayev can't uh, punch his way out of a paper bag. Mokayev has shown uh, decent enough striking and superior wrestling skills. It's not even that, it's just like uh, Gordon... It has to uh, avoid the strikes. It's just, how is he going to stuff a takedown? I, I don't see where this happens. So, to me, it's not about how you bet Micaiah. I mean, whether or not Micaiah wins. It's about how he wins. Um, the inside the distance uh, prop on this one was minus 280, uh, which is deserved because the question is... Uh, Mokayev, you know, how does he finish him? Um, does it go to a decision somehow? I doubt it. I think he finishes Gordon. I think they want to, uh, he, uh, the USC has big plans for him, and I think they're going to try to have him be a little bit more um, explosive with uh, the takedowns and just, and that, that's the only thing that gives me pause about Mokayev, and I'll get to that from a DFS perspective. Um, the Mokayev prop, uh, for round row, uh, round one KO or submission is a uh, plus one twenty. Inside the distance is around um, uh, again uh, it was around um, um, minus uh, two ninety on uh, the Mokayev side. I expect the finish. The question I have is, do we get enough takedowns for Mokayev? Because the thing is. I think this is such a lopsided matchup from a DFS scoring standpoint. Mokayev is the highest price fighter. He's 9600 and he's $23 on FanDuel. Usually, 
with the scoring format, you need that first round finish. And there's a chance, uh, there's a real chance Makayev doesn't finish him in the first, but just controls him and just uh, uh, like just ragdolls him basically for the entire round. The question is, do I? I'm not even sure Malcolm Gordon gets up once he gets taken down. So usually the the whole thing with Makayev is like sometimes he'll he'll get a guy down, the other guy might pop back up, and then he'll just drag him right back down. Um, and it's all part of their plan to just get the, and you'll see this with the Dagestani wrestlers. They'll allow a guy to get up just to waste energy, just to drag him right back down to the mat because they know they can't. So it's like it's it's part of the game they play. But with Gordon, I think this is such a lopsided matchup. He doesn't even need to play that game of let the guy back up so he can drag him back down. It's just one of those where I think he just gets him down and he stays down. That's the only thing that scares me from a DFS perspective is that because of the price tag on Makayev, unless he finishes in the first round, I think he might get outscored by a couple of fighters on this card later on in the slate that, you know, he's a safe play. He's definitely a cash play. I'm not sure if he's a uh, he's the optimal GPP play, and I'm playing him. <laughs> Believe me, I am playing him in GPPs, but I am very much afraid of the fact that this might be such a lopsided matchup for him that he may not score high enough to ship a GPP. That's my only concern. But I know he's gonna he should score well. It's it's just the ceiling. It might not be as high as people uh, are banking on it to be today. Uh, well, tomorrow, um, if you will. But uh, it, it's, uh, it is it is one where I, you know, this is Makayev all day long. Uh, it's just a question of when he finishes him. Uh, it may not be in the first round, but he's going to get him out of there sooner than later because uh, I just don't see much resistance coming from Gordon at all. Next up, we have our first fireworks fight of the night. Armin Petrosian. At uh, at middleweight versus AJ Dobson, uh, up and com- up and coming uh, guy as well. Uh, Petrosian, pure uh, like one of the best strikers in the sport. Great kickboxer. Um, you know, a couple of fights ago he fought RoboCop Gregory Rodriguez um, of the blown up face and like just uh, busted cut and everything else. Uh, I mean. If you didn't see the RoboCop fight from about a month and a half ago, where, I mean, the stitches needed to close that wound. I, I don't know what else to say about how tough RoboCop is. <laughs> like, uh, he earned that nickname RoboCop. I, I will say that. The, the, there's no no ifs, fans, or buts about it. And again, if you guys have not seen that uh, Gregory Rodriguez, uh, Chidi Njukani fight, uh, you need to check that one out. But back to where I was going with the uh, the story. Uh, when Rodriguez and uh, Petrosian fought, it was a kickboxing matchup. They're both kickboxers. Rodriguez landed a shin-to-chin kick on uh, Petrosian, like, clean, like, clean kick. And, like... I don't know how Petrosian got up from that kick. Like, Robocop should have knocked him out there. But Shin to the, the, the uh, Shin to Chin, Armin got up and still fought the rest of that fight. 
as badly hurt as he was, he still finished out that fight. That's how I know how tough he is um, in terms of fighting. And the fact of the matter is, it was a split decision um, loss. Like, it, that's the thing. It, it's just, uh, you know, Rodriguez, to his credit, was able to um, have, a, a like, a good couple of takedowns to win that fight against Petrosian. But Petrosian, even though he got hurt, he... He technically actually out like outstruck Robocop, which is the crazy part about that fight. So, you know, even though he lost the split decision, I already know Petrosian's a better, like, as how good of a striking he is because Robocop is an excellent uh, kickboxer and Petrosian outclassed him there, even though he lost. AJ Dobson, I know he's got power. And so that makes him live for at least the first round. But if you look at the actual props, the inside distance finish is uh, minus 280. But AJ Dobson's inside the distance uh, prop for round one is plus 600. His actual finish rate is at plus 275. Petrosian is minus 110 uh, for the fight itself and plus 175 in the first round. This, this is going to be one where guys are going to be, these guys are going to trade shots early. Is there a chance AJ Dobson uh, wins an exchange and knocks out Petrosian? Yeah, it's certainly possible. But I kind of look at this where, you know, AJ Dobson's going to be a popular as an underdog. He's 7,100 on DraftKings. He's $11 on FanDuel. You know, the line hasn't really moved all that much. He's still around plus 175. He's a live dog, but considering how high level I've seen Petrosian be from a striking perspective, I don't think he allows it to become a slugfest with Dobson. I think he picks him apart, and after that first round, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of with Dobson's uh, power. I think you know he's he's going to have power to string together um, one uh, one or two punch combos, but. He's not, at least not yet, on the level where I've seen him string together combinations that would concern me about taking out a guy like Petrosian. So to me, the play here is Petrosian or you pass on it. And I'll have, I'll dabble on um, Petrosian. And for DFS purposes, yeah, I'll have some Dobson lineups because uh, the math works as an underdog. And if he somehow gets the knockout... He's going to be optimal. There's there's no way of uh, of getting around it. If somehow A.J. Dobson wins this fight, it's going to be by knockout. And at his price tag, he's going to be optimal from a DFS perspective. I mean, that's, that's just the long and short of it. But at 9,100, Aaron Petrosian absolutely has to finish A.J. Dobson um to be on the optimal and I'm not entirely confident that I can say he can finish inside round one and at 9,100 it's very hard for him to hit the optimal if he doesn't finish inside round one because he's not one that's going to take down AJ Dobson and have control time so to me this 
really comes to be more of a betting uh, uh, matchup than necessarily a uh, DFS matchup uh, from the perspective of Petrosian. So bet Petrosian, I'm good with. DFS-wise, I'm struggling with Petrosian lineups, to be perfectly honest with you guys. I'm still tweaking as I go along, but I don't think Petrosian's going to make it at the end of the day into my lineups um, for uh, 20 max context. In 150, absolutely. But in 20 max, it, it's one where it's like I'm more hoping that Petrosian just finds a way to find uh, to get to Dobson's chin uh, within that first five minutes. And, and and pick up the pick up the W and then uh, we'll see where he scores. But uh, interesting matchup at 185 should be exciting enough because those guys are going to let loose. I don't think you're going to see a slow round for as long as this uh, a matchup uh, lasts for. Next up, this should be a bad matchup at 170 in welterweight. We've got uh, Abu Bakar Namagamedov versus Gati Amorgaizev. So, Nurmagomedov is the other Nurmagomedov, <laughs> like, relative. Uh, it's like, you know, you know how you have the Ball Brothers? You got Lonzo, Lamelo, and then Leangelo. Uh, Nurmagomedov, uh, Ak- uh, uh, Abukabar, uh, is definitely in the Leangelo Ball type of camp here. Um, you know, it's, you know... He can wrestle okay. Striking, not so much. Uh, nothing he does looks good, to be honest. He gets by on the name alone. And he hasn't fought in almost two years. Which is a little bit scary, uh, considering uh, it was a three-round decision victory. And even then, it wasn't as though he was... Uh, Doing that great, uh, you know, it's just, I, 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 I don't know. It, it, it's just, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, concerning, uh, trying to back the Magomedov at a minus one sixty five favorite. Um, I, I'd probably be on the side of Gazi Omogazov, uh, just because we don't have a ton of dogs on this card that I think have a realistic shot of winning. Um, and I'll get to that uh, in a bit. I know people like Dobson. I'm not as sold on Dobson. I think Godsey has a better shot of getting a win here um, just because of the level of competition. Uh, you know, he had a rough UFC opening just because he uh, he fought a, a Kyle Barallo, who is on this card as well. Barallo just... Used him as a back a backpack, uh, just to transition with him. Used the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and just took care of him without much problem. So we didn't get to see a ton of from Gazi, but from the film I was able to see of his other fights in, in other uh, regions, I, I think he gives Abu Bakar uh, quite a bit of difficulty of putting away. I like uh, Gazi here at 7500 Um on DraftKings, fourteen dollars on FanDuel. Betting wise, at plus one forty, um, you know, I think this one goes to a decision. And if it if it's not a lopsided uh, wrestling matchup, and I like again, I don't think Abu Bakar is that good of a wrestler. So to me, 
this is just kind of one where if it stays standing, and that's where I think this goes. Like I, I think the odds makers are thinking this one goes to the mat more often than not, and then that's where Abu Bakar grinds out a decision win. I think this one kind of stays standing for a vast majority of it, and I think Gatsy gets the W here. Right? It's uh, it's not a great feeling because you know, again. This is not a high level uh, of MMA where we've got enough body of work from these guys to feel supremely confident in what they're going to do. But, you know, sometimes you got to take some stabs here. Next up, another matchup where I expected to finish inside the distance, and the odds makers do too. Uh, we got Nikita Krylov versus Volkan Ozdemir at light heavyweight. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, Krylov, he had a couple of shaky losses and then came back with a, uh, biggest win of his career with a knockout of Alexander Gustafson. The issue with the Gustafson win is that everyone and myself included weren't quite sure what Alexander Gustafson we were going to get, if he was going to be ready to retire Gustafson or, fired up and ready to go back into championship form Gustafson. Turns out we got the guy who's ready to retire. Um, you know, can't take a punch anymore. I think most guys in the division would have knocked out Gustafson um, based off of the strikes that Krylov landed to take out Gustafson. It wasn't as though it was uh, uh, something um, out, out like out of this world. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that... Um, it wasn't that, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say it wasn't impressive, but there wasn't anything out otherworldly about it. It's like, you know, he gave him a couple of decent shots and he went down uh, like a sack of potatoes. The issue I see here is that Volgan Uzdemir is very similar to Krylov, except he's got a little bit more experience over the years, but Krylov has been more active in the UFC, shockingly. Krylov is 9-7 in the UFC, Ozemir is 6-5, and five, and Ozemir feels like he's been in the UFC forever. Um, it's just that Krylov basically keeps fighting. Uh, Krylov is 30, Ozemir is 33. Um, Krylov just stays active. He's 28-9 versus 18-6. Uh, but the thing about Krylov is, out of his 37 career fights, only three have gone to a decision. Like, the dude does not go, uh, like, uh, does not, like, play it safe. He goes for broke and tries to finish fights or gets himself finished. So, to me, the play here is if Ozdemir is on his game, he can finish Krylov. But I also think Krylov is better than Ozdemir and that he can get the finish. So, to me, the play here is get exposure to both fighters. Because, uh, you know, if you're playing 150 lineups... I would say 120 of them should feature uh, one or the other, at least 120. If you're doing more concentrated, I, I think it, it like pulls. I think it makes a sense to um, kind of lean, make your lean as to which guy you want. And so I would say I'm good with doing a 70-30 mix of Krylov versus Ozdemir. That, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. But if Ozdemir gets the win and inside the distance, again, 
at seventy six hundred on DraftKings and thirteen dollars on FanDuel, I think he's going to hit the optimal because I don't see this one going to a decision. I think you take the minus two fifty as the overall bet in general. I don't think either guy is safe. Uh, Krylov is minus one seventy five to win. Uh, Ozemir is uh, plus one fifty. But I don't think either guy is safe. But I do feel that inside the distance is to play here at minus two fifty. Uh, the 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 question is, you know, who do we feel great about? Uh, they both had their uh, question marks as to uh, where they're going to be able to finish, guys. Because again, I don't put that much stock into uh, the Gustafson win because of where Gustafson was at that point of his career. So when you start kind of looking back through Krylov's uh, matchups, Ozdemir kind of falls in the same range of guys he's been fighting the last uh, two years. So, again, Ozdemir is a live dog here. Uh, I just think Krylov's a little bit better. Uh, I think Krylov's a little bit more well-rounded. He also has uh, decent takedown ability. So I think he will get Ozdemir on the mat at least once in this fight. Can he finish him and control him and hold him there? I don't know. Uh, we shall see. But uh, I definitely think this fight is going to be uh, one of the more um, uh, interesting ones and one that you should be looking to target. So uh, with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break uh, while we get into the rest of the card here. But uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast will be right back after our sponsors pay the bills. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome back to the show. Hope you got your popcorn ready. All right, getting there into the fights that we want to talk about uh, just to be focused on. Kaya Barallo at middleweight uh, versus Mahmoud Muradov. Uh, Barallo is a minus 210 favorite. I think that that's way too light. I think he should be closer to 300. That's just me. Uh, to me, this is a Barallo backpack riding situation where he's just going to get on um, Muradov and ride him for three straight rounds. I, I don't see this one necessarily going to a finish. Uh, I mean, the inside the distance uh, prop is minus 135. I I don't see it. Uh, I, I think this is uh, more along the lines of uh, uh, Borallo. I, and, and again, because of how high level Barallo is on the ground, he could he could just get a rear naked choke on Muradov um, at some point. But he doesn't take uh, too many risks uh, when he gets you on the ground um, and leaves himself open to reversals. He's going to do what he needs to do to just uh, kind of kite things out and and put uh, guys in this in spot that they need to uh, to finish him off. And that's where. I think this is going to be a case uh, where, you know, you take the floor and you bet the win. Uh, to me, this is a pretty clear uh, match where I don't see uh, Barallo losing this one in general. Uh, Muradov doesn't really bring that much to the table. Um, has been subbed. Uh, he's been off for over a year. Last uh, last time out, he got subbed as well against a worse opponent on on <laughs> on the ground. I, I I think this is Barala all day. So to me, the only fear is, uh, you know, if you bet it a uh, Barala by decision, um, he could finish this dude. It's just that I don't think he takes a ton of risks. So to me, I think he's kind of comfortable just riding it out. But Barallo minus uh, 210, I think it's light. I, I am going to be hammering that one as one of my favorite bets. I think he's uh, a clear favorite here. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's even necessarily uh, that close because yeah, the minus 210 puts it as around a 65 percent chance. I think he wins closer to 80. Um, just being perfectly honest. Um, I think it's closer to 80, 85%, uh, just being real with you guys. Um, again, there's always a chance. Uh, it's MMA, variance happens that a guy screws up, but um, I don't see Murata bringing a lot to the table that gives me pause about uh, Borallo. Uh The question is, because he's 9K on DraftKings and 17 on FanDuel, he's a better play on FanDuel. Um, than he is uh, DraftKings because of uh, of the control, but uh, the control time. But uh, 
Actually, no, I shouldn't say that. Scoring-wise, technically, the control time would favor DraftKings. It's the fact that he doesn't he doesn't do a ton to try to finish. So I think that hurts him more on DraftKings than it does hurt him on FanDuel. But it's not like he's going to be scoring more on FanDuel than DraftKings. It's just a matter of uh, is he going to is he going to get the finish? If he doesn't get the finish, it makes it hard to uh, justify the price tag when you can go a little bit higher up and you can get uh, Carol Rosa, whom I do think is going to get a finish. So it, it, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. And again, Krylov, you slide down. Uh, I expect Krylov to get a finish on Ozdemir, even though that's a riskier fight. It's a higher ceiling as well. So Baralo is a safe cash game play, in my opinion. Um, but the the question is, uh, does he get the finish to have the ceiling in GPPs? I just don't know. Um, that's the part I don't know, but I feel very safe in betting on Baralo uh, to get the window uh, regardless. So uh, to me, Baralo's one of my safest bets of the day. Uh, and we kind of go from there. Next up, one of the fights I really want to see. Sean Brady versus Bilal. Remember the name, Muhammad. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, Bilal has been around for quite some time. And he feels very disrespected by the MMA community, myself included. Uh, with, uh, just how he's viewed as a, a gatekeeper. Uh, Bilal has been trading with Khabib's camp this entire way through. He's always been a solid wrestler. He's always been solid uh, striking as well. Sean Brady is an elite level wrestler. And the striking is a bit of a question mark. So the question is, do they cancel each other out because they both can wrestle? Uh, Brady's 8,200. Bilal's 8K. Brady's a minus 150 favorite. Uh, uh well, depending on the sports book, it, it can vary from anywhere from 150 to uh, 140. And Bilal's been in that 120 range uh, all the way through. It, you know, it's it's interesting. It's interesting because Bilal is a, a certainly a live dog. But everyone expects, he's priced that way too. Everyone expects this fight to be close. The question is, does it stay standing or does it go to the ground at some point? I think both guys have a legitimate claim that they can control the other guy if it gets to the ground. Because wrestlers don't like to be on the ground. They like taking guys to the ground. They don't like actually having to uh, uh, maneuver off their back to get out of a bad position. So they'll be more willing to give up their uh, back and give up their neck than stay on their back. They just don't like being on their backs in general. The issue here is that because these guys are both wrestlers, uh, you know, is it going to be one asserts dominance over the other, or are they going to cancel each other out and it's going to be a striking battle for 15 minutes? And I don't necessarily think either one has the ability of taking the other guy out uh, standing up. Uh, I do think the stand-up battle favors Bilal Muhammad, but Bilal, again, he's solid on the, on the stand-up, but he's not... One where I would say he's a very good striker. I think he's good, but I I don't think it's that much more than that where he can get a guy in danger. So this is the the fight where it's a little bit tricky because DFS standpoint, 
you can easily make a case to play one of these guys, hope for a win, and hope that they get ground control time. But the other flip side to this, and this is the downside I don't think people are accounting for, there's a real chance that their strengths cancel out uh, and you just are left with their weaknesses, which is neither guy seems like they would be able to take out the other ones uh, in a striking battle. And so because of that, there's a real chance that this uh, matchup, while fun to watch on TV, is going to absolutely suck from a DFS standpoint because neither guy is going to score well in a decision win. I think it's it's a very real possibility that this goes to a decision. Uh, and the decision prop is plus, uh, I mean, the inside of distance prop is plus 180. So that tells you right there, they expect this one to go to a decision. Uh, the question is, um, I'm not entirely sure because it's minus 225 to go to a decision. I'm not entirely sure how this one goes. I, I honestly think this is a true coin flip where you take Bilal uh, as a dog just to get some uh, value on on the pick. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Bilal lost his fight uh, to Brady. Uh, Brady's upcoming. This is just kind of a coin flip as to how you want to gauge, uh, uh, gauge the fighters. Uh, to me, from a DFS standpoint, this is the, the, the tough one because... If you get this one wrong and you back a guy, and again, this is why you want to play multiple lineups, I don't feel great about uh, focusing on one dude in this matchup. I think that's where you kind of get yourself into a bad spot uh, by uh, locking locking in uh, uh, one of these uh, guys and the fight somehow doesn't go the way you expect it to. It, it's a little, it's a, it, to me, it you don't need... Uh, you don't need to go here, if uh, if you know what I mean. It, it's just like uh, there are other pathways of building out a DFS lineup that doesn't involve this fight. And so for my main lineup, I'm staying away from this one. I'll have some exposure uh, to this matchup regardless across my lineups, but this is not going to be on my main lineup. Uh, I, I, I already, I've, I've looked at this fight too many times, and I've seen it from both fighters that to me, this kind of leans more towards uh, a stay away than anything else. And from a betting standpoint, I, I think you, you either bet the decision or you stay away from it. I think it's too close either way to give uh, a nod over uh, one fighter or the other. I, I, th- I think Brady has earned enough respect as a wrestler that you got to respect his ability to take uh, Bilal down. And I think Bilal is still good enough as a wrestler that you got to respect his ability to stuff a takedown and it stays standing, but not necessarily a standing matchup where either guy is going to outclass the other and land a ton of significant strikes. I think this is kind of one of those where it's like, it's a fun fight to watch, but from a scoring perspective, not exactly fun to be around. Next up, we have the only fighter to miss weight uh, in Caitlin Chukagian. Uh, at the 125 division, uh, I mean, miss weight by like over two pounds, which is a bit strange. Uh, not, not gonna lie. Uh, but, uh, she's taking on, uh, Mano Fioro. So here, here's the deal. Valentina Shevchenko, basically everyone's talking about within, uh, the flyweight division, 
we automatically acknowledge Bullet's the best in the division. It's not even close. But it's so boring that it's like, we know Chukagian can't do it. She's five. Battle Fierro, uh, French kickboxer, seems to be the only person that we might think can get there. Talia Santos gave it a game effort, but Bullet did jack up her eye pretty good. It's, it's not as though Bullet was uh, uh, necessarily in danger of getting uh, like injured. It was the fact that Bullet was trying to do certain takedowns and Santos was well-versed on it and stopped the head roll takedown that uh, Bullet likes to do. So, realistically, I kind of look at that fight as Shevchenko was getting a little bit sloppy in, in some of the techniques that she likes to do. There were counters to it, and she still kept trying to force the uh, technique, and that's what got her in trouble, rather than Santos being a legitimate threat. Like, that's where I kind of look at uh, this fight as a case where, you know, Chukagian, we know what she is. I mean, if you haven't seen a Caitlyn Chukagian fight, uh, you'll you'll know soon enough when she does her kia uh, constantly, and after the 20th one, you'll kind of get the gist of it that her karate kias are not going to stop. She's going to do it for a full 15 minutes. I honestly think that part of the reason why her volume isn't as high as it could be is that she's doing the full kias instead of just going for it. And yes, she, she's uh, doing the classical striking uh, balance, but you know, she does land at a decent clip, but not at the clip that Fioro does. And that's the thing. Fioro is going to do what Chikagian does, but at a faster clip. And this is going to stay st- standing for 15 minutes. I don't think Fioro has enough to take out Chikagian inside the distance. And the odds reflect that. It's a case where, okay, if I don't think uh, Fioro can finish her, but I think she's going to put out more volume, who's going to win the fight? It should be Fioro. So, the inside of the distance is plus 215. Uh, this going to a decision is uh, minus 200. Uh, oh, no, no, not, not minus 200. Minus 300, actually. Ex- apologize. But Fiero is expected to win. She's a minus 250 favorite. There's nothing here from Chukagian that's going to tell me that she's going to win this fight. Um other than a split decision, because maybe she lands a good shot, but I don't see where she lands a good shot. Like, to me, this is a case where Chukagian is fighting someone who does what she does, but at a faster clip, and that's all it comes down to. She's going to do it at a faster clip and land more more, uh, shots. So, to me, this is a pretty by-the-numbers fight. Um... You know, why is it on the main card? Because the UFC wanted to put in a main card, uh, a fight on the main card. And, you know, the only other option would have been Carol Rosa and Landsberg. And Lan- nobody wants to leave Landsberg uh, on a main event spot. I mean, that's that's the long and short of it. So, it's, uh, I think it's a pretty cut and dry uh, women's MMA fight. So, we're going to move on to Matus Gamro and Benil Dariush. Uh... Again, at lightweight, 
it's pretty packed in terms of uh, some of these fighters. Darius is right there in in the top five. I think th this is a little bit of a disrespectful line. I mean, Gamero is minus two hundred. Um, Darius is uh, plus one sixty. Here, here's here's the long and short of it. I am still not. I still don't think that. Uh, 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 I I I I I firmly believe it. Uh, I think Gamera lost his last fight to uh, 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 Sarukian. I I think he lost that fight to Sarukian, and uh, you know he got credit for the win, but I thought he lost the fight. I really thought he lost that fight. And so Benil Darius is a top five fighter, and he's the dog. I, you know, the, the Gamro is being hyped up as the, the next guy in the division, and I don't think it's close. I, I, I think he's a. I don't think he's. A, I don't think he's better than uh, Rafael Fizev. I don't think uh, Gamro is better than Dan Hooker. So, and those those guys are uh, seven and eight. I don't think he's better than Chandler. Like. If you think Benil Dariush is is not, then, like, to me, he can't be ranked in the top five. But Dariush has won, he's won his fights. People may question his chin, which is, yeah, which is fine. People use the question Charles's chin as well. I'm just saying that if we're looking at the body of work, there's no way Dariush should be the dog here. He's plus 160. The line hasn't moved. I'm not impressed by Gamera. I'm probably going to lose money and good money uh, if Gamera wins this fight. But I'm telling you now, I don't see where Gamera wins this fight other than he clips Darius with a punch and finishes him. I think Darius is a better wrestler. I think he's the more technical striker. I don't see where Gamrot wins this fight. I, I, I'm, I'm, I am struggling with how this this fight is priced because to me, this sh the odds should be flipped. To me, this is a Darius favored at minus two hundred and Gamrot at plus one sixty. To me, this is the fight where, uh, you know, unless this uh, like something drastic happens. I think the decision victory should be plus 130 uh, Dariush instead of the other way around. Dariush is plus 330 to win by decision. I think this is an easy one where I think Dariush controls him on the ground, gets the win, and we call it a day. So, to me, I take Dariush by decision, plus 330, and, you know, we make our money. It's like I, I don't I don't necessarily see Dariush uh, allowing Gamrot to uh, get a chance at clipping him. I think he can take him down. Uh, Gamrot had, you know, it's not like he's been controlled uh, heavily on the ground, but it's not as though it, you know, he's had that much uh, UFC fights where we could say. He's been significantly tested in takedown defense. He hasn't fought Darius's level yet. So, to me, like, this is a major step up. I want to take the uh, the guy I at least know that can get him to the ground. 
to me, this is a, a Darius by decision, and I take the plus 330 decision prop on Darius and see where it leads. I think Darius can win outright uh, at plus 160. I just don't see him finishing Gamrot, but I do see him winning a decision. That's where I think this uh, this matchup goes. So, uh, you know, at plus 7,400, there's a very good shot. <laughs> like, uh, uh, you know, again, the only reason why Darius wouldn't be in my main lineup for DraftKings or FanDuel is because of where he might score in a decision win. And because of some of these other guys, we may be able to get better value on some of these other guys uh, uh, scoring higher than Darius. But, and, and I'm, I'm being just uh, fully transparent here, I think Darius is so highly underrated in this spot that I I, I think uh, I think he's going to be, uh, I, I just think that that's the way to go. In terms of building the lineups, um, I think Darius makes so much sense here. It, it's not even funny. Next up, Peter Yan versus Sugar Sean O'Malley. The fight that has been hyped up to death. That could lead its own pay-per-view, but it's on this card. Listen, Sugar Sean has done a great job hyping this fight up. Peter Yan is so much better than Sugar Sean O'Malley. This is not a close fight whatsoever. I know everyone's going to say that, you know, Sugar Sean O'Malley, he's a live dog. He's he's only 6,900 on DraftKings. You know, he's priced too thin. The odds of him being plus 225, the line is too wide at Yan at minus 275. I want people to understand this, and I'm going to be perfectly blunt. Peter Yan is a classic boxer who also has excellent leg kicks. Sean O'Malley is a guy with weak legs who does not check leg kicks well. I think that this fight is so obvious in terms of people think this is going to a decision. I think Jan finishes Sean O'Malley with leg kicks, and it only takes two good leg kicks to toast his leg because O'Malley was feeling it from uh, Peter Mu- uh, Pedro Munoz uh, before uh, Munoz got uh, too sloppy in the second round with his striking. Jan is not sloppy. If anything, he is too technical at times, which is why he starts out slow because he's always trying to read his opponent to figure out how he's going to break you down. I think Jan can take this fight wherever he wants to go. He's the better grappler. He's the better striker. And he knows exactly where to pick apart uh, O'Malley's weaknesses. O'Malley's biggest strength is the fact that he can he has unique movement around the octagon. Yes, he could, he could certainly move around the octagon. Unless his legs get chopped down early by Peter Jan's leg kicks, which is exactly what I think is going to happen here. I think... Point blank, Peter Yan's going to leg kick the hell out of O'Malley's legs, and you're going to see O'Malley crumple to the ground before uh, this fight's over. I I think it's such an obvious play here that I I don't understand why I'm not hearing this more uh, being discussed, but that's the way I look at this. To me, I think Yan finishes him. He's, uh, He's plus 250 to finish inside the distance. I will take that. I will take Jan to win as well. I'll do a separate bet in case Jan just decides to play it safe and just uh, controls him while picking him apart. But to me, 
uh, most of my money betting wise is going to be on Peter Jan today because the, the line isn't wide enough. I mean, to me, Jan is closer to a minus uh, 400 favorite than minus 300. And like he's only minus 275, but honestly, this line could have been four. And I still think, um, it's, it's a worthwhile, uh, bet because I, I think the weaknesses of Sean O'Malley are too easily exploited. The biggest thing that people could say about, uh, the biggest thing people could say about, uh, uh, O'Malley is the fact that maybe Jan starts slow. That's it. Maybe Jan starts slow. Because I don't see where O'Malley's going to knock out Peter Jan. I'm sorry. No one has talked about Jan uh, getting knocked out by O'Malley. I know Sean O'Malley can land volume. But he cannot take damage at the same rate as Peter Jan. And it's a three-round fight. I get that. O'Malley might be able to point out a decision by a miracle. But here's the thing. I know uh, Peter Yan is going to do at least 10 leg kicks. Can Sean O'Malley t- stand up to 10 leg kicks? I don't think so. Not from the caliber of uh, fighter Peter Yan is. I don't see that happening whatsoever. So to me, this is a Yan inside the distance win. Maybe it goes to a decision, but I still think Yan um, uh, takes care of O'Malley here. Uh, the only question is because of Rian's price tag at 9300 on DraftKings and 22 on FanDuel, the problem is you're at the mercy of the official score. And a lot of times what I see happen is that leg kicks are not scored as significant strikes. So because of the, uh, the fact that you got leg kicks, I don't know if it gets scored properly. So that's why I'm not on Jan necessarily, even though I think you can get the finish. I think the finish comes in the second or the third round. And at that point, with the price tag, Jan's not a great DFS play. But from a betting standpoint, I think it's Jan all day. I don't think it's even close. So, to me, in in terms of stance, my most firm stance is Sean O'Malley is is getting taken out today. He took up the stepping competition, but he took the wrong step. Because this is not the dude you should be fighting. This is a terrible matchup for O'Malley, in my opinion. But we shall see. But we do know the winner of this match gets the winner of this title fight between Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. Listen, Aljo, I I had my doubts about Aljo in that uh, rematch against Jan. Obviously, the first time around, uh, when uh, Aljo, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I mean, what what can we say about Aljo in that fight? And I I, I just want to be clear. Aljo faked his way into a title win. Like, I mean, let's just be be real here. He faked his way into that bantamweight title. Then he earned the bantamweight title by beating on the right way the second time around. He did. He he actually corrected his mistakes the second time around. The first time around, he got his ass kicked by Peter Jan, and then Jan threw the illegal knee, and Aljo took the uh, took the way out and got the belt because of it. The second time around, Aljo corrected his mistakes, cut down on wasting energy trying to go for constant takedowns of Peter Jan, and basically 
was able to be at least a little bit technical enough with his striking and mixing up the takedowns to eke out a decision. And again, I think he lost the fight anyway to Jan on the second go round. <laughs> like, like, just being honest, I kind of thought he lost the fight to Jan anyway. Um, but if you if you want to score it by a technical point standpoint, yes, you could argue uh, he outpointed Jan. But I, I I just think uh, you know it, it's it's uh, it's 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 interesting to say the least that the talk this entire fight has been about is Aljo good enough as a champion? My whole thing is he beat Jan. According to the judges. But the way he's going to have to beat Dillashaw is that he's going to have to hurt Dillashaw. Because Dillashaw is not necessarily a better striker than Peter Yan. Because I don't think he is. Dillashaw, though, is more aggressive than Yan. And because he's more aggressive than Yan, Aljo is going to have to pick his spots of when he explodes. So, I think Aljo can finish Dillashaw more than he could ever finish Jan. I think uh, Aljo can win this fight against Dillashaw. The problem I see with this fight, though, is we've seen it where Aljo, it, the, like, sometimes he, he gets in his head a little bit where he thinks he needs to rush things. And so he learned from his mistakes the first time around against Jan. He doesn't have that luxury this time against Dillashaw. He may try to wrestle Dillashaw. And if he wrestles Dillashaw like I I think he might, he's going to lose this fight. Because Dillashaw has excellent takedown defense. I think Aljo runs into the same problems he did the first time around he fought Jan. In that he tries to get too reckless with his takedown entries and burns out his gas tank before we even hit the championship rounds, and then Dillashaw takes over and wins the belt. And I don't even like TJ Dillashaw. I mean, you know, Dillashaw, blatant cheater. We know he cheated. He is not even remotely remorseful about what he did to uh, to juice up to win the belt the first time around. He thinks he's the champ anyway. Uh, you know, Dillashaw's kind of a prick. <laughs> like, and to, to be honest, if you are enough of a prick that Uriah, Uriah uh, Faber hates your guts, and Faber doesn't, like, I think the only two people that actually got under Faber's skin over the entirety of his 20-year career are Dominic Cruz, because everyone hates Dom, and TJ, because TJ is an ungrateful prick. <laughs> like, just straight up, like, every time... Uh, uh, you hear TJ Dillashaw talk, you think he, he honestly thinks he's God's gift to MMA. But you have to take emotion out of this. And the way I kind of see this fight playing out is Aljo has to rely on just doing striking to win this fight. And he can't get frustrated. And that's the thing sometimes with Aljo is that he he can get his own in his own head sometimes. And Dillashaw is going to be talking smack to him this entire fight. He's going to goad Aljo into wasting energy and doing uh, dumb, uh, dumb stuff. Jan is basically a mute. 
So Aljo didn't have to worry about that. I'm concerned about this fight from Aljo's standpoint because I think he can win this fight. He should be favored, and he is. But the thing is, TJ is such a live dog that from a DFS standpoint, TJ should score well even in a loss. But this is one of those fights where I think it ends up in it being a split decision. I think it's close enough where neither guy gets a finish and it comes down to the judges' scorecards. And I've seen weirder stuff happen uh, with fights. Uh, you know, TJ can steal rounds. He's a crafty enough veteran that he can get it done. The problem is, is that Aljo, a lot of his fights go uh, go to decision. In general, it, it's just it, it, it's just kind it's kind of how how he usually he, uh, goes about goes about his uh, deals. I mean, you know, he's he's had over twenty four fights, and ten of them are uh, decision victories, and he's got two decision losses. Uh, you know, he has a lot of decision matchups. I think this goes to a decision again. And that's what my fear is, because I think uh, TJ can actually steal this fight without ever landing significant damage to Aljo. Because I think what happens is, if Aljo goes for takedowns, gets stuffed, TJ still lands shots. Yes, was Aljo trying to land takedowns? Yes, but it got stuffed. And the way judges are scoring fights these days... Just because you attempted a takedown doesn't mean you get credit for octagon control or aggression. The guy who stuffs the takedown and still lands uh, punches in the meantime, he usually gets more credit than the other guy. So I think that's what it, what can easily happen here. And so my thing is, TJ plus 300 win by decision is, is a very live uh, uh, prop here in terms of uh, in terms of ways to go. Now, could Aljo finish TJ? Yeah. Aljo could finish TJ if because we've seen TJ get clipped in basically every fight of his career for the last five years. Uh, outside of, uh, I mean, even Cruz uh, clipped him. I think TJ is there to be hit. The question is, when Aljo hits him, can Aljo get on TJ's back and just get him with the rear naked? If Aljo gets on TJ's back, this fight's pretty much over because I expect Aljamain Sterling to finish TJ Dillashaw with a rear naked choke. The question is, can he get there fast enough? He's got to be able to clip him and clip him in a way where it's not at the end of the round. He's got to get it done in the middle of the round and land a decent shot. That's where I think Aljo has to focus on the striking. Don't waste time with the wrestling in each round. There's going to be opportunities to hit TJ Dillashaw. The question is, can he get there in time? I don't know about it. Like, that's what has me the most concerned about this fight is that I think uh, overall, uh, Dillashaw can steal a a title win without actually doing that much other than uh, putting out a decent amount of volume because he'll put out higher volume than Aljo. And while I said this needs to be a striking battle, the reason why I say that is that Aljo's going to try to take some takedowns, and I just think TJ's just going to stuff him, and Aljo's going to waste energy uh, and time when he can actually get uh, he can actually get uh, the hits. So it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, I I I think uh, you know 
I, I mean, I'll be perfectly blunt. I think TJ's a prick. Um, but he could he could get the win. He's probably going to be in my main lineup based off of roster construction of the way the chips are kind of landing here uh, with the pricing and the and the folks I want to get into my lineups. I think TJ could steal a win and uh, be in the optimal because of it. Because uh, I think he'll land enough strikes over five rounds. And that's the thing you guys got to remember. It's a five-round fight. With the significant strikes these guys are going to be pumping out, you're going to be able, it's going to be able to catch up to the folks that get ground control um, in a three round fight. As long as they're striking. If it gets to the ground, it's Aljo's world. I just don't see it getting to the ground unless he hurts TJ significantly. And in order to do that, Aljo's got to focus on the striking. I'm just not sure if Aljo's, I don't know if that's a, the game plan Ray Longo's going to have Aljo focus on. I think Ray's going to have Aljo try to get TJ up against the cage and try to wear him out. And I just don't think that's necessarily the most viable way to go about it. But you know, I'm not a coach, but I, I just looking at the uh, looking at how these guys have fought over their careers. I, I just think that I'll just got to focus on trying to uh, get him hurt and then jump on his back rather than trying to wear him down by wrestling. I, I don't think the wrestling is going to get it done. Finally, Islam Makashev versus Charles Oliveira for the lightweight belt. The, I mean, the face of the division versus the future of the division. Perfectly honest, I think this this fight has been categorized all wrong. Because everyone keeps asking it, phrasing it along the lines of, how is Charles going to beat Islam? And my question is, how is Islam going to beat Charles? Because my whole thing is, I think folks are overrating Islam's ability to dominate Charles on the ground. Because everyone talks about, yes, we know Islam is a Dagestani wrestler. But we also know that Charles has been well-versed in basically every major fight in the division. He's been in the UFC for over a decade. He's got over almost 30 fights in his uh, on his uh, resume. He's been in there with everyone. He knows all the tricks of the trade, and he's at the peak of his uh, prowess at this stage in terms of skill and knowledge. That's a very dangerous thing to deal with because here's the thing I don't think folks are uh, contemplating. Yes, Islam has great entries when he sets up the strikes. Charles is an excellent striker. He's far and away the best striker Islam has ever gone up against. It's not even close. Islam has not fought anyone in the top five. Charles has fought all of them. He's basically fought all of them. I I just think that, yes, I know Islam is great. He's, he's going to be the future of the division. The future doesn't have to be now. And my whole think of uh, take on this is the fact that Islam opened up as a favorite. He, like, before this fight was even announced, when they were doing the hypotheticals, Islam was a minus 250 favorite against Charles. Some places it would even said he was a minus 300. It eventually opened up with him being minus 190. It's down to 175. Charles as an underdog and everyone, even though with the whole scale fiasco, acknowledges Charles as his champion of the division. Even though he's not, he's not the champion on paper, everyone acknowledges Charles as the champ. 
I honestly think that Islam has to be very careful with his entry points for the takedowns because it would not shock me in the slightest if Charles and his camp were focusing on knees to the uh, knees in in anticipation of Islam going for the takedown. I am not remotely surprised if this fight somehow ends with Charles knocking out Islam trying to go for a takedown and Charles just flattens him with a knee. It wouldn't shock me in the slightest because Charles always approaches fights differently in terms of what guys want to do and how best to counter it. So Charles always stays on top of this stuff. And so from my perspective, where this fight kind of comes down to is how is Islam going to engage in his game plan? Because I don't think the takedowns are going to be nearly as easy as people give him credit for. They're automatically assuming it's going to come down to uh, Charles trying to throw a sub off his back as he gets down. Charles, A, he can roll with him as he goes to the ground and find a way to find top position on top. Like, there are ways where Charles can use Islam's own body weight against him as they're going to the ground. Like, there are ways to reverse certain positions. I think Charles's game plan, while he's going to be looking to strike, I think he's also going to be looking for Islam if he gets sloppy, if I can catch him with a knee or if I can reverse the position as soon as we hit the ground to get on top of him. Because if Charles gets on top of Islam, he's going to finish him on top of a sub. And I don't think people are acknowledging this adequately. Islam is minus 105 to finish inside the distance. Charles is plus 180. To me, this is an all-day Charles take the prop. Uh, kind of thing. I think the line is way too rich on Islam in, in in terms of like the odds of what his probability is. Because to me, this fight is at best 50% for Islam to win. He's priced at 60 and above. I- I'm sorry. This is way too rich of a price for a guy who hasn't fought at this level. And I think it's way too disrespectful for, uh, even though he's not the champ, he is technically the champ. Uh, uh, to me, this is where we kind of uh, have to kind of go with uh, uh, the fight profile. And yes, you can look at the the data, but what I also see from and just the the way the video reads to me, I think Charles is going to work on areas that Islam has not even contemplated yet in his UFC career thus far. He is still incredibly young. He's going to be the champ someday. Don't get me wrong. Makachev will be uh, the lightweight champ at some point. I just don't think it's today. I don't think it's today. So we're going to see how it plays out. But from my standpoint, if the the odds of this going to a decision is uh, plus 300, I think this finishes inside the distance. I think it's... The inside the distance, and one way or another, I don't see this going to the cards. I think someone gets finished, and I think it's uh, Islam who gets finished by Charles, because I think Charles wins this, uh, the striking battle clean. I don't think it's close that he wins it clean, um, and I think he can easily catch. Uh, I, I honestly think he ca- he catches. Uh, uh, Islam more than once. We haven't seen Islam's chin tested yet. I, I just think that folks are 
getting a little bit too high on the hype train and not enough attention has been paid to how good Charles is. And people are saying they're giving respect to Charles, but they're not giving respect to Charles. They're still saying, I think, I still think Islam wins. My whole thing is I need to see different pathways for Islam to win other than getting Charles to the ground and putting him in a dominant position to finish. Because I think that's harder than people are giving it credit for. I think Islam's path to victory is more like a 25% chance of success rate. Whereas people are thinking it's more like a 50% chance. I, I think Islam has to find a different way of getting it done where he's not necessarily forcing the takedown early, but using at least some measure of deception of making Charles faint uh, and then go for the takedown. Like, he's got to do something different other than just going straight for a takedown. He's got to try to cut off the cage, get Charles up against the fence, then try to do uh, uh, one of those judo trips uh, and, and knock it, knock Charles's feet out to get him to the ground. I, I don't think a straight shot's going to get it done. I really don't. If, so I think he's got to get creative with the takedowns, and I don't think Charles is going to give him the opportunity to, and that's the way I look at it. I think folks just are just focused way too much on the highlight reels of Islam and not enough on the technical aspects of how is he going to get Charles to the ground. Because I think it matters tremendously as to how it's going to be able to execute. So that's the way I look at it. It's going to be a long day of fights uh, in the morning, guys. So I'm going to get on out of here. I know this is a long one to uh, listen through, but hopefully it gave you enough content to bet throughout the card because it is a is a long like uh, lunchtime and afternoon period to kind of go through the pay per view as well. So. You'll get uh, plenty of time to kind of sit through breakfast and lunch and kind of bet the card as we go along. So uh, I'm going to get on out of here, but I will say again, from my standpoint, I like Carol Rosa. Mokayev is like a pure lock, even though like uh, it's hard hard to bet a a dude like who's minus 1400, but I do think he's going to finish inside the distance. So you can at least throw a bet there on him finishing inside the distance. And Peter Jan, I think, is so much levels above Sugar Sean O'Malley that I don't think the line is truly giving him nearly enough respect there either. So those are definite bets you consider. But, yeah, keep thanks for listening. And, yeah, enjoy the fights. Have a good one, folks. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major outlets. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.